Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Unprecedented, the podcast that takes you through the life and presidency of our American presidents. As always with me, the man, the myth, the legend, the one that actually writes, produces, and does all the research. Neil, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. I'm, I'm happy to be uh, going back to um, the 19th century where we'll have, you know, uh, less um, opinionated, you know, uh, modern day things to get upset about. So this will be this will be a, a turn in a, in a more steady direction for us. I don't know. I don't know. We can't make any promises. Who are we talking about, Neil? John Tyler. That's one of the names that, like, you could have been holding my mom ransom. You said, pull the trigger, name one John. And I would be like, mom, I would be looking straight into her eyes. Like, mom, I love you. Um, Thank you for everything. Goodbye. Because John Tyler was not in my, anywhere <laughs> in my head at all. I didn't know he existed. Yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely not even... Um... I mean, for me, I, I didn't really even the, the the biggest significance to John Tyler to me actually is he's the only person who I've like held like a document that he's like written on, like the actual document. Like when I studied at the University of Cincinnati, was it um, like a like an order, like his lunch order? No, it was like a it's like a weird letter to somebody. Um, it was like in their um, like it was in a mu- museum where they had a bunch of archives for like Jewish history, and so. I don't even think he's Jewish, but he was writing to somebody who had a background and it was just like, oh yeah, this was one of our presidents. And so it felt important and it was really, it looked very old. So it was, it was cool in that sense. But at that time, I really had no knowledge of John Tyler as well. That's a lot of information. But before we get into it, and just like John Tyler sounds like an underwhelming, you know what? I'm going to backtrack it. I know that he has a huge following. Um, We're going to get a lot of hate mail from his fans. And this is one of the most anticipated episodes to date, more so than the two parters of Regan. So I'm I'm just gonna apologize. Please save the letters. Um, we are backtracking everything we said. We're very excited, but unfortunately, usually I set up the date, the year, and where you know the election occurred. Just like Tyler's underwhelming presidency, uh, the year was pretty mute. The year is 1840, and there's not a lot of events. Uh, United States and France are battling over Antarctica, claiming, one claiming that they discovered before the other one. There's a few um, natural disasters, a uh, tornado that takes multiple lives in the, in the southern quadrant uh, around Mississippi. Uh, New Zealand is declared a British colony, and pretty much that's kind of like the gist of the year like nothing happened this year sorry guys I mean, i'm usually excited for this section um but it's pretty minute year and in 1940 1840 there's an election but i'm not going to spoil what happens in that election i think neil that's one of the neil's biggest points so how about neil you take over this disaster of an intro and save this episode no i i would say that 1840 sounds pretty nice like, I would like a year that's just, you know, yes, not, nothing. A, not a lot of news, not a lot happened in there. Yeah. Um, no, we, we have John Tyler um, in, in a bit of what uh, should probably will be a James Monroe-esque episode today that helps us piece together the next part of American presidential history of what comes next after the founders. Um, Tyler is among this next generation of political leaders with people like Henry Clay, Andrew Jackson, and, and John Quincy Adams who are having to confront 
a whole host of issues that the founders never were able to conclusively agree upon in their era. So, so some of these issues, you know, being how the nation should move forward with taking action on slavery, how much should the U.S. expand westward, and of course, you know, the never-ending question of how powerful should the federal government be, especially in the economic areas of taxation and banking. But what is unique about the conclusion of the James Monroe presidency is that there seemed to be quite a bit of unity on those issues. You know, Monroe, a Jefferson loyalist, reinstituted the country's national bank in 1816 with the second bank of the United States. Westward expansion was continuing to surge as more and more settlers moved into the territory bought in the Louisiana Purchase. And as railroads were finally, you know, starting to be constructed and the institution of slavery was was shamelessly uncontested to continue growing in the South after after the Missouri Compromise. So an even more interesting component to the whole dynamic of American politics at the time is that there was only one thriving political party at the end of Monroe's presidency, the Democratic Republican Party. But by the time we get to John Tyler taking office just 16 years later, the Democratic Republicans no longer exist as a party. Uh, that's right, you know, just five years after that, they go from being the only national party to non-existent. And then we get two new political parties that fracture out of the Democratic Republicans. And that, that first one is the Democratic Party, formed in 1828. And this is the oldest political party in the world, actually, which is a good fun fact I did not know before this episode. And the Whigs, formed in 1833. In the world, not just in the United States, it's in the entire world, there's no other political party that is older than... Like, that's just a, that's what, that's what, that's a Googleable one, I guess. Like, <laughs> fact check, not... fact check, Neil. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so do, uh, just to, you know, set a, set a time frame for our listeners, uh, Monroe, if I'm remembering correctly, he was fifth or fourth, right? Fifth, fourth fifth. president? Fifth president, yes. Fifth president. And Tyler is considered... 10th yes. so we went through a cycle of five presidents Before and that started. political party died essentially in that time frame correct i mean yeah like it, it is pretty like i thought it was pretty shocking as well that you have like we, we talked about the era of good feelings and the monroe presidency and like his goal was to make you know the nation never able to really divulge in the separate parties again and just be really cohesive and then it just shatters like right after. And I, the I guess I don't I don't want to spoil like future episodes, but could you give me a hint as to why was it like one particular president of that party that really disillusioned the American uh, public, or yeah. was it just a yeah. fracturing from within and it just started? There's really only there's really one person we can really blame here, or maybe two people, but really one person is Andrew Jackson. Ooh, he, so that is a spoiler for a future episode. That is a spoiler. He, okay. he is the person. That's, that's a name I know. My mom <laughs> would have survived that cliff if if they asked me about an Andrew. <laughs> nice. No, that, that's that's true. I mean, he's he is very um very well known for good and for bad. Like yeah. like a lot of presidents, but again, um history does not do him, you know, very, you know, I, I guess it does not do justice very well. I, I shouldn't say that. It's hard to say. I shouldn't say justice. It just doesn't. It just doesn't do well for him in general. So I'm just gonna blab off like that. But so they're essentially a reactionary movement to the Democratic Party. Um, and these are the Whigs that I'm talking about that mm-hmm. Andrew Jackson forms to defeat John Quincy Adams in the 18th. Can I? Sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. Isn't it just so ironic or so predictable? 
that us as a society or us as human beings always become what we destroy. Why do we name that political party Whigs when like we just ex- we just escaped the British Empire, which is known mm. for wearing wigs and the Parliament and the judges use wigs and it's just a big part of their culture. And they're going like, yeah, we're Whigs now. We're you know we're the party of the Whigs. So yeah, you have a lot of background on the Whigs because I actually meant before I even went into that, I wanted to ask you know what do you do you what do you know about the Whig Party? I have nothing to pull from this from my wig. Like <laughs> if I pull my wig out, uh, there's nothing in there. But yeah, no, I mean you are correct in that it is like an old English term, and I, I was trying to make that you know comparison is that like at the end of Monroe's episode, like yeah, we kind of became England in that sense, but. Yeah, you know, what What it means is that, you know, uh, it's named after the term a, a wigamore, which is an old English term meaning cattle driver, but it essentially was borrowing a party name in England that was supposed to, uh, that was opposed to total monarchical, monarchial rule. Yeah, but it's really actually, you know, being anti, again, like it, it's, it's kind of like an anti, not even England, but just like any kind of dictatorial sort of element. But Andrew Jackson's the one representing the king in the situation that they were coining, that sorry, coining the party name against. So that's why they call themselves the Whigs because they're reacting to Andrew Jackson forming the Democratic Party. Not to put you, not to put you on the spot, taking you a lot of time from, you know, our selfish no. star, which is, you know, I know everybody's clamoring. I know everybody's angry at me right now that we're not getting to Johnny Boy. How long are we into our birth? I know, I know this is the, Andrew Jackson is what, the sixth, seventh? Sixth or seventh? He's the seventh. He is the seventh. seventh. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there's a couple of second termers here in, in there. So I, I I won't be able to do the math. So maybe 60 years in, 40 years? So, I mean, depends where we're starting in the timeline. We're talking about 1840 when John Tyra takes over. We're about... No, no, no. I'm talking about when the Wicks uh, formed. Oh, the Wicks formed? 1833... Well, when did we start? Did we start at Declaration of Independence? Did we start when the Constitution was? We start with uh, George Washington being president. Okay, so that's 1789, and so that means we're like four. Well, wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna embarrass myself with math. Forty-four years in. Okay, so oh it's it, so it. You can argue that there's still some loyalists to Britain because we're fairly young still. So somebody that is probably in their fifties, sixties if they're still alive, which is pretty impressive during that era, um, could still be very deeply tied to Britain, in theory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when when in uh, James, sorry, not James Madison, when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams die, Yusef? This is a great trivia question to ask all of your friends. Um, the reason why we started this podcast is so you don't have to do those trivia questions, man. So <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. It's, it's like a really haunting answer. Is it 50 years from when the Declaration of Independence was um i guess ratified is the right word for it or just enacted but july 4th 1826 both of them died on the same day really weird anyway of, of natural causes or were they like uh... yeah natural causes they were super old and they both died within hours of each other and they like were pen pals which is which is really strange yeah. do you think their last words was like you know each other's names no, that's a that's a, you know actually John Adams did die saying that Jefferson still lives, but Jefferson actually died through like hours earlier. He didn't actually know that when he died. So that's yeah, it's kind of sad in that sense, but also it's really weird. Also, James Monroe also dies on July fourth. By the way, only three presidents died on July fourth, and they're all like kind of like well, they weren't best friends, but I was. It would have been more fitting if it was like Madison. But anyway, I'll get off of that tangent. Um, <laughs> 
<clears throat> so again, we, we, we're going over the Whigs right now in this new party that's being formed. Um, and and their, their founder is none other than Henry Clay, a politician who kind of operates as a Monroe in the sense that he's the Ezio of the generation after the founders, I would say. And that his political career takes him to you know every pinnacle except for the presidency. He's Speaker of the House through most of Madison and Monroe's presidencies, Secretary of State in John Quincy Adams' administration, and then a senator for Kentucky for about 15 more years after Adams is defeated by Jackson. And so even though he is never president, he certainly has a lot of influence on the success of presidencies and, and the national debates taking place throughout his time. So a good way of understanding or a good way of gaining an understanding of him and the new politicians taking over for the founders is that he has a, a very you know, a similar role in this generation as Alexander Hamilton did in the founders area. You know, this is the strongest voice in advocating that the federal government should be more emboldened to drive economic development throughout the country through infrastructure projects, um, trade between other states and other nations, and in tariffs and taxation. Jefferson to Henry Clay in this new era is, you know, could be understood as, as Andrew Jackson in this sense, who is someone that is very adamant on getting rid of the National Bank, prioritizing individual rights over federal policies, and using every means necessary to continue to ensure continued expansion for the US. So not a perfect comparison to Hamilton and Jefferson, but still, you know, pretty eerily close. And their rivalry really starts in the 1824 general election to replace James Monroe. Um, it's the first election since 1800 that is tightly contested as both Clay and Jackson run in the contest along with John Quincy Adams and William Crawford. All four of them run as Democratic Republicans, and they all divide up the country along geographical lines to the point where none of them actually receive enough electoral votes to win the presidency. So Yousef, yeah, no, what happens when the Electoral College fails to provide a winner? The House Speaker decides. Well, sort of, sort of. The House, the House decides. The Speaker has a lot of influence in that. I knew I knew it was a house. Give give me half a point. I was I wanted to ask you. You you mentioned that uh, it divided the the, the country. Um, and this is probably the the second time that I've asked you this. And the last time you didn't know the answer. So feel free to tell me, edit this out because I don't want to make you look bad again. Because it's not part of your research. It's not part of your job. But how many states right now are there part of the nation during this um, election? know that one is 24 24, 24. Yes. so it is it is a, a perfect 12 12 then that's what you're talking yeah. about yeah yeah so the, it, it, i mean nation is expanding pretty rapidly like throughout these elections now honestly i could be wrong it could be 24 by the time we get to tyler and then maybe less right now um so there's that um disclaimer but um it, it's around that so yeah we are it's still like very geographically the north and south are pretty evenly um powerful in terms of like who has the most sway and this could be a fun a fun ex experiment to for whoever's not listening and, and it's uh and it's um data uh driven as i am i would love to see like the growth of our population like based on the growth of states and also like how many people were taken in because i would like understanding how we've grown as a nation not only uh, like through our political system but how much influx of new people we've taken in and, and you know, expanded out westward. And unfortunately, it led to like a lot of atrocities yeah. to the Native yeah. Americans. But like the influx of other cultures 
um, like French, the Irish, Italians, and so on, German, and so on and so forth. Like how that shaped not only the states, but how we view the world, like how we view the United States today. It would be a fascinating thing to see, like the amount of people yeah. it took to grow out those 50 states. Sounds like we should start a YouTube channel because, <laughs> yeah, a graphic guys, YouTube channel. <laughs> exactly. If you get deep in the weeds enough on YouTube, you can find a lot of these videos where you just like they'll have a map of the United States and then they'll just go year by year of like, you know, yeah, because we can, we can look at. Like it is a fascinating topic that we're covering. How you know American American presidents reflect the society that you know they were elected in, and how they shape future presidents and future future um, cycles of you know our society. Of um, there are so many angles that you can take this exploration through, like religion or education or you know even diets. Um, it's yeah. so it's wild how you can dissect. Yeah how each facet of our society influence yeah who's impacting who you know yeah i um, you know like I, I think that it goes both ways sometimes in terms of you know presidents having a big impact on popular culture and especially more recently i would say but yeah I mean, yeah the, even, the, the internet has really glamorized i mean we've already said this but yeah the internet and and this five second hdhd um per um Attention span that we have right now, yeah, it's yeah. it's really become yeah. a weird uh, incubator yeah. for political rise. Yeah, did, yeah. Did that I, sentence makes sense. <laughs> I think it made sense. Yeah, I think that you know politicians will become. Uh, I mean, again, it's just gonna. I think trending more towards like you know just having very uh, you know quick like tweet like comments that are like you know capture people's attention. And then they're able to just kind of like go back into their their hole of like hiding behind like social media in a sense, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Politics is sad today. But this is, I mean, the thing is, is like here, like still, it's it's not, you know, so clean at the same time. Um, and, and in this case, like this is a pretty prominent example of our democracy kind of going astray in this election. And so like you were said, like you said, you were right. The House of Representatives chooses from there. But, you know, since Henry Clay received the fourth most electoral votes, he was actually eliminated from the contest as only the top three electoral vote getters move on in the House vote. Um, and, and Henry Clay at this time, though, is still the Speaker of the House. And even though he cannot be president at this point, his influence alone in the House can sort of ultimately decide who is going to win the presidential race. And I should note that Jackson in this election received the most electoral and popular votes. Um, so as Jackson and him have you know little in common of where they want to see the nation go, Clay sides with John Quincy Adams and gets the votes in the House to back him to a win over Jackson. So is um, he, is this like a like a like a great political trivia question? Like who is the only president yeah. to lose both the electoral and the popular vote and still not be the president? Well, no, and still win the presidency because that's what John Quincy Adams was. He lost both. No, but I say win. Yeah. I said I said win. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can do it both ways. Yeah, that's both ways. That's a great right. question. Exactly. Like, no, yeah, it, it, it's pretty ep- I mean, John Quincy Adams really gets everybody in, in trivia in that sense because it, 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 in my opinion, yeah, he shouldn't have been president <laughs> based off of just like, you know, if you're someone who believes in democracy, I mean, our system, he didn't get over the electoral belt. Like he legitimately won in the sense that like in the rules of the constitution, he won. I mean, it, this gets really bad um, when, you know, what really sets Jackson off. And then even myself here is that 
Um, you know, John Quincy Adams makes Henry Clay his secretary of state in exchange, which, you know, reasonably is, you know, again, the scene as a reward for securing him a win. And I just want to, you know, emphasize what we've been emphasizing, you know, with the founders is that the secretary of state usually becomes president um, at this point, Monroe, Madison, Jefferson, all of the presidents that proceeded besides, you know, Adams, like the original John Adams and George Washington were secretary of states before coming president. So it was like, you know, basically just giving him like, all right, well, you can be the next president after me. So, you know, the obvious transaction between Clay and Adams did not go unnoticed in the public and was highly publicized by Jackson's camp for the next four years. You know, Jackson's able to use that momentum from 1824 to crush Adams in the 1828 election. And just like that, we have a real divide again in American politics between a Democratic Party and the Whig Party that will be formed by Clay just a few years later. This is like the, an early example of, um, what's that phrase, the quid per crow? Or has that happened like multiple times before? Is this just like the very, the very first super obvious one that everybody saw? <laughs> I don't know if they really used the word quid pro quo for this exchange. I think that they coined it something else like the, I don't know, it was kind of, it had like a, a more modern sort of like the corrupt bargain actually is what they call this right Ooh, here. I well like that better. Best. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, it is sort of a, period, a quid pro quo, but I mean, that I think has been happening throughout history. I mean, even like forming the constitution, but I don't know if it was, I don't know how regularly it was used in the English language back then. So maybe it wasn't as a popular of a, of a term that was coined. But, but yeah. Well, they're always, missing out. They're missing out on using a great it is problem. We, we need to know, you know, why do we even have two parties? You know, what separates these two parties from one another besides the differences just in those two founders of the parties? You know, the Democratic Party still survives to this day, obviously. But, you know, what, so the Democratic <laughs> <Nothing>. Party... <laughs> really only chose to distinguish itself at first solely around the personality of its leader. Other than his cult of personality, he, he actually did bring to the party a unique character. Democrats claimed to be, you know, the true Jeffersonian Republicans and detested the National Bank mainly because they always saw it benefiting the aristocracy to them. As the bank was only partially owned by the government, since they allowed for private stockholders to invest and receive profits for government deposits. Jackson's whole brand was to represent the interests of the common man, common white man, that is, and having a national bank with privileges over, you know, smaller banks and making, you know, rich people even more rich was an easy target. Uh, he vetoes a bill from Congress to extend the national bank's charter in 1832 and issues an executive order to end all deposits of funds in the Bank of the United States, which was by far one of the most authoritarian-like moves a, a president had taken up until that point. And so the Whig Party was then formed by Henry Clay in 1833 as basically a stop Jackson party, uh, as a fear that his popularity and willingness to act unconventionally would compel him to use the military to gain more power, because this is someone who has an extreme military background as to how he got popular in the first place in the war of 1812. Whigs believe that policies should only come out of Congress, while Democrats supported a stronger executive branch, a stronger president. This is a good place, I think, to introduce the subject of our episode today, John Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> what are we in, like 20 minutes in? <laughs> right, right. As he's also somewhat in the mix of this two-party split. But um, he's also somewhat of an outcast to both of these sides. Absolutely no one in the 1830s would have said that John Tyler would ever have a shot becoming president. And nobody uh, in 2021 also. 
That's true. <laughs> and his background is very similar to Monroe, actually, in that he is from Virginia, graduates from the same university at the College of William and Mary, and comes from a wealthy a family of, of wealthy plantation owners that also own slaves. Politically, though, he's much less dynamic than more popular politicians of his time, as he's, you know, a, a diehard advocate of states' rights, um, even more so than even like someone like Jackson is, which in theory would you would think would put him at the opposite ideological end of someone like Henry Clay, but somehow he's able to become the vice president on the second ever Whig ticket in 1840. Emphasizing the irony and drama of American politics. If this were a movie, how would you rate this so far, Yusef? On are, are you someone who you know wants wants everything to make sense, or are you just kind of along for the ride here? You mean in terms of a movie? Um, yeah, if this was like if this is how the movie was playing out, it's a little scattered. I want to say it's scattered, and I don't know who are the principal players, <laughs> but it's starting to form, starting to form. So okay. I'm I'm enjoying it so far. Okay, okay. So I I think <laughs> that's a good point. I was like, oh shit, we're going into LBJ territory, I guess. But <laughs> I I think the most important thing to note about Tyler right from the outset here is that he is one of the most politically stringent presidents in our history, I would say, which is really saying something. Um, even the most stringent and political actors eventually decide to make more pragmatic choices in their careers as they move up the political ranks and face more complicated dynamics. Tyler stuck to his guns, though. His priorities were limiting the power of the federal government pretty much at all costs, um, citing Jefferson as one of his biggest influences. And let's take a quick side note here, because so many politicians in this era you know, try to claim that they're like the true heir to Jefferson's political ideology. It's, it's, I feel like it's pretty similar to like the Reagan dynamic that was out there before 2016. Like, it's just like, oh yeah, I'm the real Jefferson. No, I'm like, you know, it's just like, it's insane at this point. No one's really like claiming Alexander Hamilton. So that really shows that his popularity really went off in this area. Like, like the party we were discussing before, he was the face of a party that died as well. So nobody's going to try to claim so the party that died. Democrat Republicans, they're not, they're, they're dead at this point. I um, mean, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. It, it's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Jefferson's obviously. He got a, he got a, he got a hit drop way me ago. That's, you know, life paid him afterwards, I guess. Yes. Um, so Tyler was a House member of Virginia in the early 1820s before becoming governor of Virginia in 1825. And then he became a senator just two years later until 1835. And like I said, he also detested the purpose of, you know, a national bank, believing that states should be responsible for their own banking systems, as well, for, as well as for funding their own infrastructure projects. And, you know, more notably, he was against the Missouri Compromise passed in the law by James Monroe. Tyler was another, you know, Jeffersonian-like figure when it came to slavery, but, you know, somewhat even worse on the issue, especially towards the end of his life, which I'll, I'll talk about later in the episode, but... Tyra thought that the practice should be allowed in every newly created state and that should and that there should not be you know any such thing as government mandated free and slave states, but that each state should decide for themselves. Um, and you know supposedly his theory being that if slavery was more dispersed throughout the United States as a whole, it would become a rarer practice in the South than his home state in Virginia. In that way, it would take less time for it to become abolished. But as I mentioned before, he owned slave for the duration. He, he owned slave for the slaves for the duration of his life, and so if he really wanted the practice to be abolished, I feel like he wouldn't be concocting this. Wait, you know, can 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 I can I unravel that? Let's peel back 
Um, he said that he believes that every single state should have its the right to have slaves, Correct. but with the backdoor um, thought of we're actually gonna saturate the market to the point that everybody's gonna like, well, you know what? I'm actually the one slaves because there's too many slaves. So we're going to abolish slavery because, you know, if New York has slaves and Boston has slaves and Virginia is like too many, it's too many, too many places. So let's just stop this. That yeah. was like his train of thought. Yeah, it, it, it's really it doesn't like it, it just sounds, you know, kind of just super outlandish. I think I think more so his thought was that, like, if you spread the practice too thin, it will become more unpopular in every state to the point where it would be like abolished. And so like this is not this is not like mom jeans. This is not skinny jeans or like the the hairstyles where you everybody's doing it so I'm going to do something different. Like we're talking about freaking slavery. Yeah. It yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. He was really again like I'm not sure how in this era like he could have thrived so much as a politician in this sense because you know the get the federal government still is gaining power in, in that way and that like you know people at this point recognize that like a federal law takes precedent over a state law but he was completely not on train with that not not in tune with that and is going to keep backing states like more so i think he would have been much happier with something like the articles of confederation and the constitution but yeah he has you know ways of this i mean trying to make himself look good in the sense of like you know backing up horrible practices and horrible laws but as senator you know he became increasingly frustrated with president jackson when he started to use the presidency to increase the power of the office and jackson very openly chose his cabinet based on those who supported him in this election which was seen as more controversial in the 1830s than today and so the issue that saw Tyler break from Jackson, because again, he seems much closer to him than he does, you know, Henry Clay at this point, was nullification crisis of 1832 to 1833, as South Carolina became the first state to declare a break from the Union over a tariff that was passed in 1828. So that tariff greatly increased the tax on imported goods. Again, we're talking about tariffs again, which kind of sucks, but um, that it, and they were imported goods from Britain, which was meant to help businesses in the North struggling to sell goods against cheap materials out of Britain. So this made it harder for the economy in the South to afford the goods they needed, though. And, and in return, their economy suffered because Britain then had less money to buy cotton. And this led South Carolina to declare the tariff null within its borders, meaning that, like, you know, it's it wasn't a law within its borders. Uh, which states were not allowed to do for federal laws. Jackson was quick to threaten to send troops to South Carolina to enforce the law, and this greatly angered Tyler as a breach in federal power. And nullification was stopped by Congress by, you know, a, a law that was passed in lowering tariffs. And this law was proposed by Henry Clay, which kind of saved the whole crisis in that sense. And so this kind of is what drew Tyler to the Whig Party. And so he jumps to them. He's someone, again, who saw Jackson as a greater threat to states' rights than the Whigs. And so eventually he's kind of forced out of the Senate over like a weird pride issue. Like there's like a weird rule back in the day where like if not even like a rule, but just like a, a custom that if like a state legislator like votes um, conclusively to um, like say that you have to like vote a certain way on like a, a like uh, a bill, like say like you know, California, like assembly votes in like a majority 
or to vote, like they have to like they're telling their senator they need to vote like yes on issue or prop, you know, 15 or whatever. I'm just making stuff up. But that means that they actually have to vote on that, that they can't make that individual decision. This is kind of like a, the same custom back in the day. Uh, Tyler ends up resigning because of this because he doesn't want to vote with Jackson on a certain issue. And so this brings us to the 1840 convention, which is an upset win for Harrison over Henry Clay. Again, this, uh, I should stress that like Henry Clay forms his party, yet he's not actually able to win the presidential ticket, which is something that's, that's pretty weird. Um, Hen Harrison, William Henry Harrison is like a military hero. And so the party is going for a, again, like a, a, a Jackson opponent. Jackson at this point, I should also note, is not in the election anymore. Um, Van Buren wins in the 1836 election. He was like a Jackson successor in the Democratic Party and is running for re-election at this point. Um, but Clay, again, was a Southerner and, and Harrison was a Northerner. And so this cleared the way for Tyler to become vice president. Harrison wins the presidency over, wins the presidential like nomination over Clay, and there's outrage among like you know possible VP candidates. Several people turned down the opportunity to run as the VP on a ticket with Harrison, and so Tyler really is only picked after like you know a handful of people turned down the nomination, and they need to secure the Southern vote in order to be competitive in the 1840 election, and so. Tyler, you know, really like just stumbles upon being on the VP ticket. Like the Whig party doesn't really even have a, they don't even draft the platform for their convention. They don't really even have like a decisive plan of what they actually believe in as a party, other than that they just don't like Jackson and his policies. And the Democratic Party still at this point represents Jackson, even though he's not the president anymore. And so because of that, John Tyler wins vice presidency. So if they don't have a platform and they don't have a, an identity or a personality and arguably even a face, since you mentioned that behind this guy, uh, Clay, right? Yes. And he's not even he's not even the, the one being proper as the next president or even the vice president. How does the American people get behind him or get behind this party that doesn't even have an identity? Good question, because the economy goes into recession in 1837. Um, And so Martin Buren Byrne doesn't handle this recession well. Commie's still sort of just in a downward spiral by the time he gets the election. And so not only do the Whigs win the presidential election, they win majorities in both the Senate and the House. And so we actually have like a whole, like, I mean, there's this time in American history where we have this party that like dominates the government <laughs> like for a brief time but um it's pretty extraordinary at this point in terms of like where we went you know again just 15 years ago um in 18 at the end of Monroe presidency into now William Henry Harrison falls his election win with being sworn in and making the longest speech inaugural speech up until that point in American history in uh freezing temperatures and so during the speech Harrison right in the aftermath catches pneumonia and dies just a month into his presidency. Shortest president of all time. I'm not sure we're, I mean, doing a president, doing a episode on him is, is going to be some tough work. Um, just give me so that. It'll be a quickie. Um, <laughs> we'll just, we'll just yeah. <laughs> Whenever we want to do, like, want to take a break, Neil, you, you need a break from your research. We're just going to do that guy and, and get it over with. Um, Uh, based on your knowledge, like this is like a huge political shift, uh, a brand new 
political party uh, is formed, new faces are attached to it, and, and the entire government essentially shifts towards that political party. Is this like the, the only example or are there other moments in our political history in where we've taken such a drastic shift on in, in our system? It's a good question. I'm trying to like search through like my brain now for like something that was more drastic. I mean, the Republican Party that forms when Lincoln like wins, that's the first Republican Party win. I think that that is seen as a drastic thing, obviously, because, you know, the whole South succeeds after he wins the presidency. So I think that that is like a, a fair comparison at this mm. point. But um, no, I mean, there's, there's after that, you know, we only have two political parties pretty much from there on out. So, yeah, this, this is a, definitely a, a shock kind of move because, again, you know, no one really knows what to do at this point in terms of, you know, how we move on from the president dying like the constitution again like you know it, it says that like the vice president takes over as like taking taking on like the presidential duties in that sense but is he actually the president like the constitution actually doesn't make that specific in you know the 1840 version of it we eventually get the 25th amendment which it's passed in 1967 that like formally like kind of like has a process of like how the vice president takes over the, for the president and makes this a lot more procedural. But this this president that John Tyler lays out is actually crucial to like, you know, every single other you know vice president that takes over for a president afterward, because people like John Quincy Adams actually thought that he shouldn't be called the president he should be maybe like the acting president or he would just assume the powers but still be vice president in that sense and so there's a whole like lull of like what should they actually do but tyler to his credit you know right as he hears that henry that harrison dies gets right to dc kind of like forces you know um to be sworn in as president of the united states and no one's going to stop it because you know no one really knows what to do you know they just know that they need a president so John Tyler, you know, again, forcibly gets himself into the presidency, president, not, I mean, like, you know, leader of the Whig party and the Whigs really like have no idea. I mean, they know what he stands for in the sense of like his old voting record, but it's nothing to like, you know, what the leader of the Whig party is like, like this is a disaster scenario. Um, and so he already kind of gets trolled right as he gets in the office. They call John Tyler his accidency instead of his excellency. Wow. <laughs> Which is a pretty Burn. good <laughs> the, the whole game plan here, Henry Clay obviously has got to be just like, you know, horribly distraught, you know, because he feels like this should be his presidency. Like somehow, you know, John Tyler, of all people, is president of the Whig Party, or not even the Whig Party, the United States under a Whig umbrella. And so John Tyler decides to keep all of Harrison's cabinet members just as like a to try to show like a sign of faith, like, hey, you know, I am your new president, but, you know, I know that you all were, you know, chosen by the president just like, you know, in the past few months, like just trying to show a sign of respect. And so we get kicked off into his presidency and we have two, you know, really like main issues within it. And that is, you know, keeping the charter of the Bank of the United States on like a successful like being having it you know re um sorry restored or just like extended out even longer you know because they they always did these charters by like 20 year terms 
And so like five years before, like, you know, the charter was to run out, like they, the Congress needed to pass a new charter to make sure the Bank of the United States would keep going. And so John Tyler, though, is against the National Bank, which the Whig Party majority, I mean, again, they have majorities in the House and the Senate. And so when they pass these bills to, again, like make sure the charter is extended out, Tyler vetoes them <laughs> two times. And so Henry Clay is pissed and decides to make sure he gets his cabinet, he gets Tyra's cabinet to resign almost one by one out of his cabinet the next day. And this, these types of things don't happen in the 1840s, right? And in, in, in presidential history. And so he's trying to embarrass John Tyler out of the office in a sense, but um, he's still not able to deter him. Tyler just, you know, goes on replacing the cabinet and the Whigs kick him out of the party, formally kick him out of the party. He's no longer... While he's president. Yes, early in his presidency, not even within the first two years. This is, this is, not, this is not a successful presidency that I am going to describe for you. And so while he actually does try to make concessions, he does sign like a lot of law. I mean, he does sign some bills that like the, the Whigs want him to sign. Like these, this is like the main, like the main issue that they have with Jackson was, you know, trying to close down the bank and make the Bank of the United States super weak. And Tyler is with Jackson on that issue. And the other key issue is the annexation of Texas or, you know, the like the, the goal of annexing Texas. This was Tyler's like really like his Hail Mary to try to regain the presidency in 1844 because he knew that the Whigs had kicked him out of the party, but he wanted to go back into, he, he was a Democrat formally for a few years while Jackson was in his first term. And so he wanted to see if he could be embraced by that party in annexing Texas. And so his whole push to annex them, you know, was able to be picked up in the press and actually gain a lot of popular esteem when it came to the actual you know convention in 1844 he still was passed over and even though it became a platform for the democratic party that they wanted to annex texas he was not chosen to actually lead their party so he basically was guaranteed because he couldn't just think pragmatically about hey, maybe I should just concede to some of the weak demands so that I could keep on with being president for another term. Um, he pretty much sealed his fate right away in the presidency by, you know, not even trying to, again, like appease the Whigs in a in a meaningful way. Where, and, where would you think that, so he clearly was against Jackson's party and then he became pretty much against the Whigs party. If you were to place John Tyler's philosophy, where would you think he would align throughout all the political parties that have existed or currently exist? Like currently exist, he'd be like the super far right of like Republicans. Like he would just, but in like a true, in, sorry, in like a, I think a more true sense in, the, in, in that like he really believes in conservatism, like more so than even Reagan did, you know, because Reagan actually expanded the government, which is what we like, talked about the last episodes he actually like still spent more money in his budget like tyler is someone who wants the federal government to do as little as possible while still kind of fulfilling their role as like you can like just like the again like the supreme law of the land and so like that that's what i mean is that like tyler didn't really have like a big agenda with coming to the presidency no i think that he liked being president in the sense that he 
wanted to it was like the it's the most influential way to like put your personal political beliefs into you know um into motion within the federal government but like at the same time you know if you don't have any ambition if you don't want to like he didn't believe that the federal government should be funding infrastructure projects that the state should only be doing that you know, if he didn't believe the federal government should really be like even just like doing civil taxation in the sense that like he thought that states should be able to handle that thing themselves. And, and again, he stuck up for South Carolina when they threatened to succeed for the United States just over a tariff bill. And so and that's why, you know, like he really is so inconsequential in that sense. It seems like a waste of four years and also for like a new opportunity for a party to emerge in the country because it kind of hijacks the party like they they only pick him up because they just want to secure a southern vote he's very popular in the south he's from virginia which is still the most influential state at the time in the u.s and so like no one anticipates that the president is going to die because it's never happened before that's where we lead with 1844 he actually is at the end of his presidency the very end that's what he's like best known for in terms of successes is he does annex Texas into the United States, but he doesn't even get on the ballot for any party for the 1844 election. He stumbles out even worse on his legacy. I even brought up the worst part about Tyler is that he continues his political career into the 1860s. When the South succeeds, he tries at the very end to hold like a peace convention between representatives of both northern and southern states by the time we get to the Civil War part. But no agreement is reached between Tyler and president-elect Abraham Lincoln at the time. He Again, he tries to make, he tries to form this sort of, again, like convention where, you know, southern states and northern states, they, they avoid this whole succession. Tyra then became a leading proponent after that of Southern succession when that fails. And in late 1861, he's elected to the Confederate House of Representatives. He is now a Confederate, like a Confederate in full, like, you know, full embrace. And so the they, guy, the guy that said that he wants to eventually abolish uh, slavery. And I know so like, the Civil War wasn't a hundred percent about slavery, yeah. but that was a big that was a big proponent. So he's part of the House of the Confederate. That's, yes, that's, days that's before the first meeting, he dies though, and so he is denounced in the North as a traitor. He is the only president in history to be wrapped in a Confederate flag. Wow, his burial, and so <laughs> this dude is wild. I thought this episode <laughs> would have been like boring, but. I have to say is one of the most entertaining uh, precedents that we've discussed so far. Like, I love this episode. It's so much fun. So yeah. is there no political agenda? Like, there's no, like, bill or or amendment or nothing that he did. Nothing. That That's possible. <laughs> That's about I love it. it. Yeah. I love it because he faked it. He faked it. So he made it. Like, he just like the epitome of white privilege or or male privilege or just like dumb privilege is like you just stumble through life yes. and just made it to the top of the heap he just kept like rolling through the desert like a tumbleweed and and suddenly he's the president of the united states and everybody's like how did this guy get here yes everybody's pissed off no it, it really is like the weirdest like i mean and, and, and at the same time, like, I, I feel like, you know, he, again, like, undeservedly gains a presidency and then really does, like, nothing to try to actually, like, oh, hey, I'm here. 
Maybe I should like actually. Could you imagine? Could you imagine <laughs> what could have happened if he wasn't the president? Like this new political party had full control of the federal system, and then this random ass dude came along. He's like, "Nope, we're yeah. not gonna do it." Yeah, no. I mean, if you had a Henry Clay as a president, you know, we could be talking about somebody like a. I mean, in the sense that like someone with like the status of a Jackson. And I'm not sure what Henry Clay would have done as president, right? But he would have been like, you know, someone who was probably super well remembered, probably like more yeah, they could about have changed. They could arguably have yeah. changed a lot of the landscape of what we hold through today. Yeah. And so Tyler, you know, just came in and wrecked all up. And that's the Maybe that was the plan. That was just, you know, sometimes the matrix has viruses that just disrupt the system because Things couldn't happen a certain way. And they were like, no, we can't have the wi the wigs taken over. Send John Tyler in. Yeah. The wrecking yeah. ball. I don't know. Yeah, they're gonna be that's wild though. So was Harris. he was he like very close to the president of the Confederacy? What's the name of the Confederate president? Jefferson Davis. I don't think that I, I I honestly don't know. I mean, I imagine that he like probably was friendly with him since he decided to join the Confederacy in that sense, but I mean, yeah, they didn't make him president of the Confederacy. Probably, you know, it's a good thing though. Should he president? probably he would have probably <laughs> <laughs> broken that civil war too, and then he would have been just you know he would move yeah. further down. It would be the 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 president of Mexico, and they would have getting kicked out, and he just kept going down. Yeah, that would have been a pretty wild legacy, you know, president of the U.S. and then president. Of, I mean, that would have been something. Then you would have really known him by then. You would have remembered John Tyler. Oh yeah, do that. <laughs> so I, I think I'm honestly gonna remember John Tyler going forward. Yeah, yeah. He really I mean he he had a, a pretty uh big journey, you know, whatever you he's, think of he's it. he's My far favorite. more entertaining than Grover Cleveland. <laughs> uh what was the other one that I didn't know his name? There's um, that we discussed. James Monroe, you think he's more than I mean, uh there's John Adams, there's we did uh no, I think Girl Cleveland was the only one that I didn't know. Really he's more interesting than Taft, I would say, too. Even though Taft's got a unique name. but Yeah, no, but I, I knew all the other names. Uh, Grover Grover was a unique one. But yeah, yeah, John Tyler, I didn't know that name. But the rest that we've discussed so far, I've known that name. Yeah, so there it is, John Tyler. So I think this is a fair question. So I'm guessing that he was really viewed as or very hated during this time how does history look back on him like in terms of like i know that we said that he's inconsequential in, in and then he essentially betrayed his ideals and went to well i don't know if he betrayed his ideals because we don't really no, know I don't his, think ideals. He betrayed his ideals actually um yeah. so he went he went back he went to the conferency but how does history like look back at him and and where does do they normally rank him always bottom five presidents he, he always Always. I mean, he usually sits, he never sits as the worst, but he's usually like, you know, we're like, like 45, number five. Like he's like, it's so there's like, what, 45 presidents now. So he's usually like number 40 or number 42 or number 41. He's like always sitting in that range, but no, he's not really well. Like I also admitted a, another key thing to his presidency. He's the first president to have been attempted to be impeached by Congress. So they tried to impeach him after he was vetoing those bills to reinstate the National Bank. He also was vetoing bills for, um, you know, tariffs that like they were trying to, um, like, again, like higher tariffs because they were like lower to an extreme point. And so 
Um, yeah, he was just, again, he was vetoing in the sense that, like, you know, he's pissing people off like Gorston Grover Cleveland was in this era because, you know, he was elected to this ticket, again, that, that Congress was, you know, he had a full supermajority. So, yeah, yeah, he was not... Well do, you, do you prefer, do you prefer this type of president that, you know, essentially just level off or probably, uh, like, not level off, but didn't, didn't move the needle either way, just kept things as is? Essentially, like, since you, you said that they, he didn't pass anything or somebody that just, like, drastically changes the landscape of the policies, like uh, a Reagan or from Monroe. Well, I like, I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, I like progress. You know, I don't, I don't like someone who just comes in and, like, doesn't, like. But but is there is there an argument of, you know, progress for the sake of progress? Like, just change, just, because I feel like a lot of presidents and a lot of political figures just want to have something to the name and it's kind of like new management always like the, it doesn't matter if the old ways is working i need to establish why i'm here and i need to change things so people will remember me because i did x or y thing yeah yeah i, I think that well I, i think throughout history like you know there's never a time where things are working you know that's that's the yeah, thing yeah. That, like that, that, that that's that's the problem is that like you know the presidents who do think things are working like i always end up disliking more you know because it's just like well you know we have we always have movements happening you know like there's always like people pushing the agenda of like oh we need to progress you know there's always those influences and sometimes they're stronger with different presidents than others but like yeah you know i don't think john tyler had a whole lot of pressure on him to do anything about, you know, slavery or do anything about like any kind of social justice issue. And, but, you know, at the same time, he still didn't even like, you know, push the envelope on any like, you know, innovative economic agenda or any kind of, like, you know, he just really wanted to recede the country back into, I don't know, like 1800, you know, and just, it, it doesn't seem like if you don't, I mean, if you don't want to move with like, you know, the people, that, that's something that we can appreciate Jackson for right because like he at least opened up democracy like i, I don't want to like you know prelude into a jackson episode but like he's the first president who really like pushes for like a popular vote to decide like actual electoral votes even though they're all like white men who are voting still like he's still the president who pushes for that system of voting instead of mm -hmm. just electors who are chosen by the legislature to actually like choose a president you know and so That's something like a Jackson episode is going to be really, you know, there's going to be a lot of pros and cons that actually more so than like, you know, a, a Tyler episode. And that's why I talked about Jackson a lot in this because he, there's just a lot to cover with him. But yeah, I don't like a Jack. I, I mean, Tyler obviously sucks in my mind. Yes, yeah, the, the, the spoilers for the question that everybody's on their edge of your seat, all the John Tyler fanboys out there are waiting for me to ask this question. Um, if you tune into the last episodes, uh, the Regans, uh, those are wonderful episodes, and thank you for listening. Uh, LBJ defeated uh, Regan for Neil's favorite president of all time, legally. Is John Tyler going to defeat LBJ? Uh, LBJ will be beaten sometime, but not, not today. Not in the Lyndon continues to be Neil's a favorite president of all time, legally. Um, so Neil, now that we covered, honestly, this was, I'm going to be honest, maybe I'm tired because I've been working nonstop and I just, I, 
had a drink and I'm I'm a little in it, but this was one of my favorite episodes. I had so much fun with this episode. Like, like John Tyler really brought it. This was so yeah, much yeah. fun. Um, <laughs> so where where are you taking me next? We're gonna go um, back to another heavy heavy one. Um, I'm, you know, maybe maybe that's not something that you want, but Harry Truman. We're gonna go Ooh. the guy took over right that's after. a that's the name i know my mom would have survived also name of harry um yeah, so. uh with the, what year is that as he takes over in 1945 all right we're jumping 100 years into the future we're doing a two-termer in one episode so it's going to be a lot of president actually it's going to be like, it'll be a very presidential episode not a lot of build up here so get ready for that all right i'm looking forward to it uh thank you for following the podcast please rate and subscribe um share with your friends uh, we really appreciate it this is a labor of love please uh comment on our instagram or our twitter let neil know what he missed what he should have said especially all you tyler fanboys out there you know that you're out there just let neil know what he missed and uh, we'll see you on the next one bye right.